Section 1 of Animal Heroes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Slum Cat, Life 1. Section 1. Meat! Meat! came shrilling down Scrimper's Alley. Surely the Pied Piper of Hamlin was there, for it seemed that all the cats in the neighborhood were running toward the sound, though the dogs, it must be confessed, looked scornfully indifferent. Meat! Meat! And louder. Then the center of attraction came into view, a rough, dirty little man with a pushcart, while straggling behind him were a score of cats that joined in his cry with a sound nearly the same as his own. Every fifty yards, that is, as soon as a goodly throng of cats was gathered, the push-cart stopped. The man with the magic voice took out of the box in his cart a skewer on which were pieces of strong-smelling boiled liver. With a long stick he pushed the pieces off. Each cat seized one, and wheeling with a slight depression of his ears and a little tiger-growling glare, she rushed away with her prize to devour it in some safe retreat. Meat! Meat! and still they came to get their portions. All were well known to the meat man. There was Castiglion's tiger. This was Jones's black. Here was Perlinsky's torker shell, and this was Madame Danton's white. There sneaked Blinkenshoff's malty, and that, climbing on the barrow, was Sawyer's old orange billy, an impudent fraud that had never had had any financial backing. All to be remembered and kept in account. This one's owner was sure to pay a dime a week. That one's doubtful. There was John Washy's cat. That got only a small piece because John was in arrears. Then there was the saloon-keeper's collared and ribboned ratter, which got an extra lump because the barkeep was liberal. And the round man's cat, that brought no cash, but got unusual consideration because the meat man did. But there were others. A black cat with a white nose came rushing confidently with the rest, only to be repulsed savagely. Alas, Pussy did not understand. She had been a pensioner of the barrow for months. Why this unkind change? It was beyond her comprehension, but the meat man knew. Her mistress had stopped payment. The meat man kept no books but his memory, and it was never at fault. Outside this patrician, four hundred, about the barrow, were other cats, keeping away from the push-cart because they were not on the list, the social register, as it were, yet fascinated by the heavenly smell and the faint possibility of accidental good luck. Among these hangers-on was a thin gray slummer, a homeless cat that lived by her wits, slab-sided and not over-clean. One could see at a glance that she was doing her duty by a family in some out-of-the-way corner. She kept one eye on the barrow circo, and the other on the possible dogs. She saw a score of happy cats slink off with their delicious daily and their tiger-like air, but no opening for her, till a big tom of her own class sprang on a little pensioner with intent to rob. The victim dropped the meat to defend herself against the enemy, and before the all-powerful could intervene, the gray slummer saw her chance, seized the prize, and was gone. She went through the hole in Minzy's side door and over the wall at the back, then sat down and devoured the lump of liver, licked her chops, 
felt absolutely happy, and set out by devious ways to the rubbish yard where, in the bottom of an old cracker box, her family was awaiting her. A plaintive mewing reached her ears. She went at speed and reached the box to see a huge black tomcat calmly destroying her brood. He was twice as big as she, but she went at him with all her strength, and he did as most animals will do when caught wrongdoing. He turned and ran away. Only one was left, a little thing like its mother, but of more pronounced color, gray with black spots and a white touch on her nose, ears, and tail tip. There can be no question of the mother's grief for a few days, but that wore off, and all her care was for the survivor. That benevolence was as far as possible from the motives of the murderous old Tom, there can be no doubt, but he proved a blessing in the deep disguise, for both mother and Kit were visibly bettered in a short time. The daily quest for food continued. The meat man rarely proved a success, but the ash cans were there, and if they did not afford a meat supply, at least they were sure to produce potato skins that could be used to allay the gripe of hunger for another day. One night the mother cat smelt a wonderful smell that came from the East River at the end of the alley. A new smell always needed investigating, and when it is attractive as well as new, there is but one course open. It led Pussy to the docks a block away, and then, out on a wharf, away from any cover but the night. A sudden noise, a growl and a rush, were the first notice she had that she was cut off by her old enemy, the wharf dog. There was only one escape. She leaped from the wharf to the vessel from which the smell came. The dog could not follow, so when the fish-boat sailed in the morning, Pussy unwillingly went with her and was seen no more. Section 2 The slum kitten waited in vain for her mother. The next morning came and went. She became very hungry. Toward evening a deep-laid instinct drove her forth to seek food— she slunk out of the old box, and feeling her way silently among the rubbish, she smelt everything that seemed eatable, but without finding food. At length she reached the wooden steps leading down into Jap Malay's bird store underground. The door was open a little. She wandered into a world of rank and curious smells, and a number of living things in cages all about her. A negro was sitting idly on a box in a corner. He saw the little stranger enter and watched it curiously. It wandered past some rabbits. They paid no heed. It came to a wide barred cage in which was a fox. The gentleman with the bushy tail was in a far corner. He crouched low. His eyes glowed. The kitten wandered, sniffing up to the bars, put its head in, sniffed again, and then made toward the feed pan to be seized in a flash by the crouching fox. It gave a frightened mew, but a single shake cut that short, and would have ended Kitty's nine lives at once had not the negro come to the rescue. He had no weapon, and could not get into the cage, but he spat with such copious vigor in the fox's face that he dropped the kitten and returned to the corner, there to sit blinking his eye in sullen fear. The negro pulled the kitten out. The shake of the beast of prey seemed to have stunned the victim, really to have saved it much suffering. The kitten seemed unharmed, but giddy. It tottered in a circle for a time, then slowly revived, and a few minutes later was purring in the negro's lap, apparently none the worse, when Jap Malee, the birdman, came home. Jap was not an Oriental. He was a full-blooded cockney, 
but his eyes were such that little accidental slits aslant in his round, flat face that his first name was forgotten in the highly descriptive title of Jap. He was not especially unkind to the birds and beasts whose sale were supposed to furnish his living, but his eye was on the main chance. He knew what he wanted. He didn't want the slum kitten. The negro gave it all the food it could eat, then carried it to a distant block and dropped it into a neighboring iron yard. Section 3 One full meal is as much as anyone needs in two or three days, and under the influence of this stored-up heat and power, Kitty was very lively. She walked around the piled-up rubbish, cast curious glances on a far-away canary birds in cages that hung from high windows. She peeped over fences, discovered a large dog, got quietly down again, and presently finding a sheltered place in full sunlight, she lay down and slept for an hour. A slight sniff awakened her, and before her stood a large black cat with glowing green eyes and the thick neck and square jaw that distinguished the tom. A scar marked his cheek, and his left ear was torn. His look was far from friendly. His ears moved backward a little, his tail twitched, and a faint, deep sound came from his throat. The kitten innocently walked toward him. She did not remember him. He rubbed the sides of his jaws on a post and quietly, slowly turned and disappeared. The last that she saw of him was the end of his tail twitching from side to side, and the little slummer had no idea that she had been as near death today as she had been when she ventured into the fox cage. As night came on, the kitten began to feel hungry. She examined carefully the long, invisible colored stream that the wind is made of. She selected the most interesting of its strands, and nose-lead followed. In the corner of the yard was a box of garbage. Among this she found something that answered fairly well for food. A bucket of water under a faucet offered a chance to quench her thirst. The night was spent chiefly in prowling about and learning the main lines of the iron yard. The next day she passed as before, sleeping in the sun. Thus the time wore on. Sometimes she found a good meal at the garbage box. Sometimes there was nothing. Once she found the big black tom there, but discreetly withdrew before he saw her. The water bucket was usually at its place, or, failing that, there were some muddy little pools on the stone below. But the garbage box was very unreliable. Once it left her for three days without food. She searched along the high fence, and seeing a small hole, crawled through that and found herself in the open street. This was a new world, but before she had ventured far, there was a noisy, rumbling rush. A large dog came bounding, and Kitty had barely time to run back into the hole in the fence. She was dreadfully hungry, and glad to find some old potato peelings which gave a little respite to the hunger pains. In the morning, she did not sleep, but prowled for food. Some sparrows chirped in the yard. They were often there, but now they were viewed with new eyes. The steady pressure of hunger had roused the wild hunter in the kitten. Those sparrows were game, were food. She crouched instinctively and stalked from cover to cover. But the chirpers were alert and flew in time, not once, but many times she tried without results except to confirm the sparrows and the list of things to be eaten, if obtainable. 
On the fifth day of ill luck, the slum kitty ventured forth into the streets, desperately bent on finding food. When far from the haven hole some small boys opened fire at her with pieces of brick, she ran in fear. A dog joined in the chase, and Kitty's position grew perilous. But an old-fashioned iron fence round a house front was there, and she slipped in between the rails as the dog overtook her. A woman in the window above shouted at the dog. Then the boys dropped a piece of cat meat down to the unfortunate, and Kitty had the most delicious meal of her life. The stoop afforded a refuge. Under this she sat patiently till nightfall came with quiet, then sneaked back like a shadow to her old iron yard. Thus the days went by for two months. She grew in size and strength, and in an intimate knowledge of the immediate neighborhood. She made the acquaintance of Downey Street, where long rows of ash cans were to be seen every morning. She formed her own ideas of their proprietors. The big house was to her not a Roman Catholic mission, but a place whose garbage tins abounded in the choicest fish scrapings. She soon made the acquaintance of the meat man, and joined in the shy fringe of cats that formed the outer circle. She also met the wharf-dog as well as two or three other horrors of the same class. She knew what to expect of them, and how to avoid them, and she was happy in being the inventor of a new industry. Many thousand cats have doubtless hung in hope about the tempting milk-cans that the early milkman leaves on steps and window-ledges, and it was by the merest accident that Kitty found one with a broken lid, and so was taught to raise it and have a satisfying drink. Bottles, of course, were beyond her, but many a can has a misfit lid, and Kitty was very painstaking in her efforts to discover the loose-jointed ones. Finally, she extended her range by exploration till she achieved the heart of the next block, and farther, till one more among the barrels and boxes of the yard behind the birdman's cellar. The old iron yard never had been home. She'd always felt like a stranger there. But here she had a sense of ownership, and at once resented the presence of another small cat. She approached this newcomer with threatening air. The two had got as far as snarling and spitting when a bucket of water from an upper window drenched them both and effectually cooled their wrath. They fled, the newcomer over the wall, slum Kitty under the very box where she had been born. This whole back region appealed to her strongly, and here again she took up her abode. The yard had no more garbage food than the other and no water at all, but it was frequented by stray rats and a few mice of the finest quality. These were occasionally secured, and afforded not only a palatable meal, but were the cause of her winning a friend. Section 4 Kitty was now fully grown. She was a striking-looking cat of the tiger type. Her marks were black on a very pale gray, and the four beauty spots of white on nose, ears, and tail tip lent a certain distinction. She was very expert at getting a living, and yet she had some days of starvation and failed in an ambition of catching a sparrow. She was quite alone, but a new force was coming into her life. She was lying in the sun one August day when a large black cat came walking along at the top of a wall in her direction. She recognized him at once by his torn ear. She slunk into her box and hid. He picked his way gingerly, bounded lightly to a shed that was at the end of the yard, and was crossing the roof when a yellow cat rose up. 
The black Tom glared and growled. So did the yellow Tom. Their tails lashed from side to side. Strong throats growled and yowled. They approached each other with ears laid back, with muscles a-tense. Yow, ow, said the black one. Wow, was the slightly deeper answer. Yow, ow, 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 said the black one, edging up half an inch nearer. Yow, was the yellow answer, as the blonde cat rose to full height and stepped with vast dignity a whole inch forward. Yow, and he went another inch while his tail went swish, thump from one side to the other. You all, you all, screamed the black in a rising tone, and he backed the eighth of an inch as he marked the broad, unshrinking breast before him. Windows opened all around, human voices were heard, but the cat scene went on. Yow, 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 rumbled the yellow peril, his voice deepening as the others rose. Yow, and he advanced another step. Now their noses were but three inches apart. They stood sidewise, both ready to clinch, but each waiting for the other. They glared for three minutes in silence and like statues, except that each tail tip was twisting. The yellow began again. Yow! In deep tone. Yeah! Screamed the black with intent to strike terror by his yell but he retreated one-sixteenth of an inch. The yellow walked up a long half-inch. Their whiskers were mixing now, another advance, and their noses almost touched. Yow! said the yellow like a deep moan. "'Yaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaa
If Orange Billy had come, he would have seen five little kittens curled up in the embrace of their mother, the little slum cat. It was a wonderful thing for her. She felt all the elation an animal mother can feel, all the delight, and she loved them and licked them with a tenderness that must have been a surprise to herself, had she had the power to think such things. She had added a joy to her joyless life, but she had also added a care and a heavy weight to her heavy load. All her strength was taken now to find food. The burden increased as the offspring grew up big enough to scramble about the box, which they did daily during her absence after they were six weeks old. That troubles go in flocks and luck in streaks is well known in slumland. Kitty had had three encounters with dogs and had been stoned by Maylie's negro during a two-day starve. Then the tide turned. The very next morning she found a full milk can without a lid, successfully robbed a barrow pensioner, and found a big fish head all within two hours. She had just returned with that perfect piece, which comes with only with a full stomach, when she saw a little brown creature in her junkyard. Hunting memories came back in strength. She didn't know what it was, but she had killed and eaten several mice, and this was evidently a big mouse with bobtail and large ears. Kitty stalked it with elaborate but unnecessary caution. The little rabbit simply sat up and looked faintly amused. He did not try to run, and Kitty sprang on him and bore him off. As she was not hungry, she carried him into the cracker box and dropped him among the kittens. He was not much hurt. He got over his fright, and since he could not get out of the box, he snuggled among the kittens, and when they began to take their evening meal, he very soon decided to join them. The old cat was puzzled. The hunter instinct had been dominant, but absence of hunger had saved the rabbit and given the maternal instinct a chance to appear. The result was that the rabbit became a member of the family and was thenceforth guarded and fed with the kittens. Two weeks went by. The kittens romped much more among the boxes during their mother's absence. The rabbit could not get out of the box. Jap Maley, seeing the kittens about the backyard, told the negro to shoot them. This he was doing one morning with a twenty-two caliber rifle. He had shot one after another and seen them drop from sight into the crannies of the lumber pile when the old cat came running along the wall from the dock carrying a small wharf rat. He had been ready to shoot her, too, but the sight of the rat changed his plans. A rat-catching cat was worthy to live. It happened to be the very first one she had ever caught, but it saved her life. She threaded the lumber maze to the cracker box and was probably puzzled to find that there were no kittens to come at her call, and the rabbit would not partake of the rat. Pussy curled up to nurse the rabbit, but she called from time to time to summon the kittens. Guided by the call, the negro crawled quietly to the place and, peering down into the cracker box, saw, to his intense surprise, that it contained the old cat, a live rabbit, and a dead rat. The mother cat laid back her ears and snarled. The negro withdrew, but a minute later a board was dropped on the opening of the cracker box, and the den with its tenants, dead and alive, was lifted into the bird cellar. "'Say, boss, look a hair. Here's where the little rabbit got to what we lost. You sure thought I stole him for der tater bake?' Kitty and Bunny were carefully put in a large wire cage and exhibited as a happy family till a few days later— when the rabbit took sick and died. Pussy had never been happy in the cage. 
She had enough to eat and drink, but she craved her freedom, would likely have gotten death or liberty now, but that during the four-day captivity she had so cleaned and slicked her fur that her usual coloring was seen, and Jap decided to keep her. End of Section 1 Recording by Jenny Blankenship, Culloden, West Virginia